Hello, welcome to Set Lessing Bruce. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. But today, I get to take an episode off. One of the nice things about doing this podcast is all the friends I've made. And Terry Smith is one of many that has become a dear friend to me through our communication via podcast. Um, Terry is thinking about getting into the podcast family, joining Southgate Media. He's already doing Tea Time for Terry with me, but he went to Austin to attend the Austin City Limits, and he asked if it would be okay if he put together a episode talking about his experiences in Austin City Limits, giving reviews of bands and telling people some music to check out. I said, of course, I love it, and here it is. So the first of, I hope, many episodes from Terry that will be part of the Set Listing Bruce universe. So take it away, Terry. Hi, my name is Terry Smith, uh, and I'm really delighted that Jesse has asked me to do uh, one of his B-side podcasts. You know, the ones that are on set listing Bruce, but are not actually about Bruce Springsteen. Um, I've just got uh, back. I've had the delight of spending a week in Austin, Texas. And the main reason uh, for going there was to attend what has become my favorite festival, uh, Austin City Limits, or as it's more commonly known, ACL. Uh, what I'd like to do today uh, is talk you through why I've come to love this festival so much, my top 10 highlights from last weekend, um, and also a couple of the lowlights as well, which you inevitably get over three or more days. But before we get to that, just a little bit about me. Um, if, like me, you're a fan of Jesse and of Settlist and Bruce, then my name and my voice may seem familiar. Um, I was episode 168, which I realized when I was putting this together, I really must get put on the front of a t-shirt. Uh, I was also uh, episode 179 doing something called Tea Time with Terry, uh, where Jesse and I talked through our favorite tracks of each decade of our lives. And I'm pleased to say that there are more episodes of that where we interview uh, other people. Uh, so more episodes of that coming. Um, and in the new year, that will become its own podcast series uh, in its own right, which I'm really, really excited about. So I'm a 61-year-old Brit, uh, recently moved uh, to Scotland after living in Seattle for seven years. Uh, music has always been part of my life. I can never remember music not being around. Um, I bought my, my first albums. Um, my first purchase was two albums, After the Gold Rush by Neil Young uh, and Led Zeppelin 1, and that was in 1971. And I went to my first concert uh, on the 27th of March, 1972, uh, to see Jethro Tull at Liverpool Stadium. And in the subsequent 46 years, I will literally have seen thousands of gigs. Uh, it's what I love doing. And yet, until last year, I had never actually attended a full day, full three-day music festival. 
Uh, I'd done single days. Uh, I'd done a few two-day 80s festivals, which they're great fun, but frankly, they really don't count. Um, so I guess the question is, why no three-day festival? Uh, the reason is quite simple, I guess. In For me, certainly in the UK, three-day festivals, uh, they always meant camping. Uh, they meant bad weather or inclement weather. Normally, that was far too much rain, but occasionally it would be far too much sun. Uh, it meant muddy fields, it meant smelly tents, and it meant awful toilets. Um, it's not an age thing. I didn't want to do it when I was 15, I didn't want to do it when I was 30, and I certainly don't want to do it when I'm 60. Um, but about five, six years ago, I heard about ACL from a friend who uh, had started going. Um, and I really wanted to give it a try, but unfortunately, because of work commitments at the timing of the festival meant I was always in Europe, um, so I couldn't go. But the good news is that last year I retired, and so this was my opportunity. And again, I guess you know, the question is, but what was it about ACL? Um, and the thing is, here's a festival that's held in a lovely park in the centre of a real really really cool city um, there's a fantastic spread of music and that spread is also represented in the demographic that attend so you genuinely do get everything from 7 to 70. Um, finally because it's in the center of a city you can stay in a really nice hotel or as we did this year Airbnb festival food is great and the portaloos actually flush. Um, I went Last year, as I say, for the first time, and I was hooked. Um, last year for me was all about discovering new music. Some of the more established act and some of the stuff I knew quite well were okay, but not great. Uh, whereas some about six or seven acts I'd never even heard of, uh, I came away living. So in July of this year, as I say, my wife and I uh, moved back from Seattle to the UK, but there was never really any doubt that I would be flying the 15 hours to go to ACL again this year. So let me start to talk you through that. Um, first thing is outside of the main festival, uh, there are a series of late night shows. They go on through the festival, but they actually start on the Wednesday uh, evening. Uh, my first highlight came from the Thursday late night show. Uh, it was held at the iconic Anton's Blues Club, uh, which really is iconic. It's where people like Stevie Ray Vaughan and a whole host of other people made their names. And the band that was playing uh, were a bunch of Aussies called Gang of Youths. Now, when we booked the tickets for this show, because I go with a group of friends, um, I actually didn't know this, but it turns out that the lead singer is a self-proclaimed Springsteen nut. He's fairly transparent about it, uh, to the extent that the opening track of the latest album, uh, and the album is called Go Further in Lightness, um, is a very deliberate sort of tip of the hat to Thunder Road. So needless to say, I love them, but I think more importantly, uh, the friends I was with uh, also ended up loving them as well. Um, it's bold, it's ambitious, it's bombastic, it's pretentious music. Uh, it's over at, over the top, and at times it certainly subscribes to the everything, including the kitchen sink approach to production. And in my world, that says, well, what more could you want? The clip uh, you're about to hear uh, illustrates all I've just said, uh, but I also chose it for another reason. Um, whilst I was sat on the tarmac in Austin waiting for my flight home to take off, 
uh, I got some awful news that a lovely talented guy, a guy called Sem uh, Pat Simprich, who I worked with for a number of years, uh, he had sadly died at the age of 46 from a heart attack. Um, this track was the first thing I put on um, and listened to after receiving that news. And uh, I think the sentiment is, is pretty clear. Okay, so that was Gangs of Use with uh, Say Yes to Life. Um, but let's move from the Thursday night on to the main event, the festival starting on Friday, Friday morning. Um, and Friday was just a great day to the extent that I've actually had to chop highlights out um, of this. So a lady called Natalie Press actually opened on the main stage at uh, midday. Uh, I, I love Natalie. She did a great set. Uh, I did have to reflect that here she was on the main stage at Austin City Limits. And the last time I saw her 18 months ago was in a club in Seattle that held 200 people. Um, but as I say, the day was just packed full of fantastic music. And uh, it was also packed full of temperatures in the mid 90s, uh, which is never good for a milky skinned Englishman. Um, but anyway, on to the music. Um, and the first act I talked about discovering new music, I'd never heard of her, uh, although I had heard of her name. And the reason is the artist is called Bishop Briggs. Um, and I knew the name because Bishop Briggs is a town just north of Glasgow. Um, and it turns out that um, this artist, uh, her parents, both came from Bishop Briggs. I think she was born in Asia and then grew up in the US. But the reason she chose that as a name is her actual name is Sarah McLaughlin. And as I'm sure most of you know, there is already a pretty famous Sarah McLaughlin. So uh, great name. Um, and she's one of those female performers who, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but she has a sort of thin, girly talking voice. And then she opens her mouth and starts singing and literally you're just blown back. Uh, by the power of this voice uh, she came when she came out she opened the set on her own on the main stage and sang a cappella um, and I think that just takes courage it takes great talent and she clearly has both um, she did a fantastic set I love the music um, but I guess one of the reasons she's a highlight and this would this will be a theme in the stuff I go from is uh, or go through is that she was really excited and clearly very moved to be there. 
uh, at one stage she just stopped and she said a few years ago I was singing in coffee shops and she said there were exclusive coffee shops because there weren't many people in them uh, and here I am opening for Paul McCartney and uh, a few tears followed uh, and I for one and I know there were many felt that uh, that reaction was genuine and authentic so there was a there was a real uh, connection there and uh, I will keep going very deliberately back to uh, Springsteen. Uh, this is a set in Bruce podcast after all. Uh, and it's one of the things I've always loved about Bruce is he talks about connection, 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 whether that be emotional connection to music and the song or connection with the audience. Um, and I think the great live performers have that. And I certainly think that Bishop's Briggs does. So here's a little clip from one of the highlights of her set. mid-afternoon and um, my next highlight David Byrne um, I saw his show in Seattle probably May June time I think um, to be honest I went to the show uh, I didn't have massive expectations uh, I loved a lot of stuff he's done over the years but you I just felt he may be losing his way a bit uh, I'd listened to the new album and it was good but not great um, but I have to say I was completely wrong um, as the reviews also endorse I think it's one of the best shows I've ever seen um, it's brilliantly conceived it's fantastically executed whether that's musically staging dancing um and i would encourage encourage everyone if you haven't seen the show go onto youtube and and just watch some of it um what i was fascinated by though was to see how this would transfer to a festival setting you one of the friends on the trip simon said you know this was performance art at its very best uh, and I agree with him, but it was like, how does that transfer to uh, a festival setting? Um, and also, how would he edit down what was a two and a quarter hour, you know, theatre show, very carefully constructed and intricately put together down into a one hour format? Well, the first answer of how did it transfer is it was is sweatily. Um, I mean, it was 3.30 in the afternoon. The sun was absolutely at its hottest. And um, everyone of, on stage, including David Byrne, was wearing heavy gray suits and buttoned up shirts. 
there are literally no um, instruments on the stage. All instruments, including all the drums, are carried by the band. And for most of the hour, everyone, including David Byrne, is dancing. So it was really, really hot work. Um, but David Byrne and the band just worked their asses off uh, for an hour and put in a stunning performance. Um, and it really did feel like a finished show and it really did flow and have an arc. Um, they also got the balance between the old and the new just right. And the old stuff they did, um, songs like Road to Nowhere, Burning Down the House, uh, one I'm going to play a clip of in a second, Once in a Lifetime. They reinterpreted it enough that it was new and interesting, but not like Dylan where you sit there and go, I don't recognize what is that. So uh, I think they did a great job of that. And then finally, they uh, they covered... Uh, or they finished with a cover of uh, Janelle Monet's song, uh, Hell You Tombo, which uh, one is a nice connection to a later highlight because Janelle's set really was magnificent. Uh, but two, uh, that was one of many examples, and I'll talk about some more later on, um, of a spirit of activism and protest at this year's festival that just wasn't there uh, last year. So. Uh, you know, I think Beto O'Rourke, the um, Democratic candidate uh, for the midterms, had more T-shirts at the festival than uh, the McCartney, I think. Um, there was um, a lot of messaging around get out and vote, uh, a lot of references around LGBT discrimination, uh, as you would expect, a lot around Me Too. So, um, yeah, for someone who considers themselves probably a bit of an aging hippie, it was uh, it was great to see, frankly, that that spirit and that messaging uh, was out there. So, um, without further ado, let's have let's have a little listen to a clip from Once in a Lifetime, and um, this is a song I, don't, I actually don't know how I guess around about twenty five years old, and I think it's probably as relevant now and sounds as relevant now as ever did. my next highlight uh, which followed I think from memory immediately uh, on the same um, main stage uh, which was the national um, I'm picking up on that sort of message of activism and protest the national actually were probably the most explicit um, in their messaging because they actually had a lady called Julie Oliver uh, who's the Democratic candidate for the US House of Representatives uh, Congressional District 25 uh, came on stage at the start of their set to talk about the midterms, uh, which not un understandably, I guess, and not uh, surprisingly, she referenced as the most important elections of our lives. Uh, so one, they did that. Uh, two, they very cleverly, uh, that is the national, 
uh, in the set then dedicated uh, the track Mr. November, uh, both to Julie Oliver, but also to, to Beto O'Rourke and the, uh, the other Democratic candidates. Um, and it was a fantastic set. Um, if you've seen the National Live, you know that Matt Berenger is an interesting frontman. Uh, for me, is a bit Van Morrison-ish Morrison in that you never know whether the the angst and anger is part of him really loving it or it's just angsty and angry. Um, he was certainly angry in this set, but I think it was around getting that message over of things have to change. So um, I, for one, uh, really, really enjoyed the set. So uh, let's hear uh, a short clip. Okay, so appropriately that was uh, Mr. November and then on to the next little act that uh, actually finished the main stage on Friday, um, a certain Paul McCartney. Um, where do you start? Uh, from a personal perspective, I'm fortunate that this was my fourth time of seeing him in the past eight years. Um, I don't think I mentioned at the start, but I actually uh, I was born and brought up until I was 18 six miles from the cavern so uh, the Beatles and all of that stuff kind of matters um, you know and if I look at this if I put my analytical critical head on then a lot of what I saw at ACL was identical to what he did at Hamden Park which was the first of those four shows eight years ago and in the subsequent shows and I don't just mean the songs uh, the stories the moves the gestures but frankly for me none of that matters um, this is the most talented songwriter of the last century. Uh, he's just released a really good new album, uh, Egypt Station. Uh, get a listen if you can. Uh, this is not, hey, for a 76-year-old, this isn't bad. It's a really good album. And he has a back catalogue that is just beyond compare. I mean, if you, if you look at this set, some of the songs he didn't play. Eleanor Rigby, Yesterday, Long and Winding Road. Uh, I saw us standing there, um, that famous Beatles song that, of course, when he was one time he was playing with Springsteen in Hyde Park, some Brit at One Nation decided it was better to pull the plug and not disturb the neighbours than let two of the greatest musicians in history finish the song. Um, so, yeah, you could put together a pretty good set list of the stuff he didn't play. Uh, in fairness, he also didn't play Frog Chorus, Mull of Kintyre, Give Arden Back to the Irish, or the fairly large number of really poor songs he's written. But he, even geniuses have their off days. So um, it was just a fantastic experience. His set at ACL was two and a quarter hours, which is remarkable to think that's almost an hour shorter than his normal set. Uh, and as I said, for 76 years of age, um, that's that's not bad. Uh, of the four times I've seen him in the past decade, then this was definitely the most fun. And I think that was because 
the audience was so up for it uh, genuinely young or old you know there was a real palpable sense of occasion i heard people saying this is history uh, when he came on there was a guy stood next to me who just very quietly uh, given it was loud, just said i never thought i would see a beetle um so yeah it felt like it was something special and then that came across from the stage and going back to my earlier point you know he, he was so engaged he clearly loves what he's doing he's not doing it for the money um so all of that came across the other thing i want to flag is also um you know prior to mccartney but particularly during mccartney there were just a great bunch of folks uh, around us um all american uh and i did reflect on the fact that you know americans reputation for a whole host of reasons um outside the us isn't the greatest it's been at the moment um but the reality is you travel you go down to something like this you go into texas and those folks couldn't have been warmer lovelier more generous they were great fun uh they felt like long lost friends by 10 o'clock in the evening and um yeah it was just great and one of them actually about an hour and a quarter in leant over to me and said what's the one song you want him to play and i was able to turn around and say he's already played it um and that's maybe i'm amazed which is a song i just absolutely love so uh, let's hear a little bit of that Maybe I'm amazed, and I should have said that that clip and the national one actually uh, are from the actual performances at ACL last weekend. Um, and so on to day two, and definitely a case of uh, follow that. Um, got off to a great start with a lady called Brandy Carlisle, uh, who is actually a Seattle artist. And would you believe that this was the first time I'd seen her live? And the main reason for that. Um, and I did share this with some folks I bumped into from Seattle who burst out laughing and said, oh my goodness, you too, as in you did that, not the band. Um, but for about five and a half years, I thought people were talking about Belinda Carlisle, not Brandy Carlisle. 
uh, which is the main reason why I didn't go and see it. Uh, but she was absolutely great. Um, and she conformed, she hit one of my suggested rules for a festival. So if I was running a festival, I would actually put it in the contract and the rider for every act that they had to do at least one cover version. Um, one of the highlights of last year was a real country artist called Cody Jinx doing a version of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. It was just magic. Um, so Brandy actually got two ticks in that box because she took on the real challenge of doing Case of You by Joni Mitchell. Uh, and as she said, she is the queen, so it is a challenge. Um, she then had the genius move of following that cover version by doing a fantastic version of Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You by Zeppelin. Uh, so I've never seen that in a live um, performance. So that was a highlight. But actually, uh, the track I'm going to play a clip from is it's a song called Mother. And uh, she did talk very movingly about being a mother, becoming a mother, being a mother, and specifically being a gay mother. Um, and uh, this clip I'm going to play, as I say, is from a song called Mother. It's about uh, being mother to her daughter, Evangeline. And it, it contains one of my favorite recently, recently couplets, which is the first thing that she took from me with selfishness and sleep. Welcome to the end of being alone inside your mind. You're tethered to another and you worried all the time. You always knew the melody, but you never heard it rhyme. She's fair and she is quiet, Lord. She doesn't look like me. She made me love the morning, she's a holiday at sea The New York streets are as busy as they always used to be But I am the mother of Evangeline The first things that she took from me were selfishness and sleep She broke a thousand heirlooms I was never meant to keep she filled my life with color, canceled plans, and trashed my car. But none of that was ever who we are. So on from Brandy Carlisle to a different genre. And yet another Scottish theme, uh, the band called Churches, a Glasgow band. Um, they apparently, my friends who were there tell me, played ACL, I think, four years ago. Um, it was stifling apparently middle of the day heat um and lauren mabry who's the um lovely lead singer in the band really really struggled and um, pointed out to the crowd many times that glaswegians really don't do 90 degrees in humidity um it wasn't quite so bad this time it had cooled down a bit uh clouds had uh had come over so uh, they didn't have to suffer uh which is just as well as she pointed out given the outfit that she chose to wear which uh, go online have a look but um very bjorkish would be my um would be my summary but outside of that they they put in a really consummate and confident performance uh and you felt like you were watching a band at their prime but also with an awful lot more uh to come and uh the track i'm going to play is a bit of leave a trace um i'm going back to my activism and protest uh, sort of theme this um this was introduced with the short but pointed and impactful dedication of for the survivors so this is leave a trace 
Headliners on day two were Metallica. Um, never been a massive fan myself, and that was true of uh, all the folks with me. But of course, we went down to listen. We did the dutiful listen to one track, take a picture, get the tick in the box. And so we were heading off. Um, and I guess certainly my mood at the time was that day two had been a good day. You know, there'd been some good stuff in it, but um, certainly felt a little bit of a letdown, particularly after the, the brilliant first day we'd had. Um, and then we decided to go and see the headliner on the other main stage. And I should say that in Austin, there's about seven stages, but basically you've got the two main stages at either end of the park and then the others are dotted around. Um, and playing on that stage was a band called Justice. So, you know, it's EDM, it's electronic music. It's not stuff, although I've started listening to a bit more electronic, but certainly mine is at the mellower chill out and not really the dance end. So... Uh, this was just a, hey, let's go and see, and um, there were a couple of guys in the party who were uh, keen to do it, and it's the right thing to do. And I am so glad I did, because it was an absolute revelation. Um, for those who don't know about Justice, they've been around for 10 years, but um, on my theme of connection, you know, uh, it turned out that in the crowd there were just thousands of really light flexible glow sticks and everybody had sort of handfuls of these and you know in edm it's all about building up that momentum and building up to that crescendo and then to the big change and at those points of the big change people would just throw thousands of these glow sticks in the air um so you had this sort of fantastic thing where there was a brilliant light show going on on stage but the audience was sort of making its own light show um, and the thing that was clear to me was that there were tens of thousands of people having so much fun and it was absolute joy. Um, so a real discovery for me and I love having my horizons uh, open. I have listened to the stuff uh, since I got back and enjoyed it. Um, so I'm going to play you, and this is from uh, off the latest album, which is reworking of other stuff. So I think, uh, as I understand it, each of their albums is, is actually just a live album that's recorded. Uh, but this is the opening minute or so of, um, or early part of a song called Safe and Sound. Listen for the big change uh, just over a minute in and imagine 10,000 people throwing glow sticks in the air. 
Day three of the festival. Actually, I think day six of my trip. So by this stage, there is a little bit of an element of, you know, this is <laughs> this is an endurance survival test. Um, but I went into the day, and I guess, uh, looking back, I would say it was a day of surprises, uh, in that if you'd have asked me at the start of the day, would the two highlights that I'm going to talk you through be my highlights, I would have said no. Um, and I also would have been pretty firm that there would be a highlight there, and that would be the Arctic Monkeys who were um, headlining and closing off on uh, on the Sunday night. As I'll talk about later, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, but let's talk about the surprises and the upside first. So um, my first highlight I'm going to pick out, and I referenced her earlier when I talked about David Byrne, is this uh, lady Janelle Monet. Um, I really wasn't very familiar at all with her stuff before uh, the festival. I listened prior and was impressed. Um, and the show itself, and I use show very deliberately because that's what it was, uh, really was very, very impressive. It was middle of the afternoon, like David Byrne, sun was out, not quite as hot. Um, but you really did think you were seeing something very, very impressive. Uh, you know, this this was in the tradition of Madonna, obviously Prince, who was a big mentor for her, um, the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, those sort of those sort of shows. But again, and I realise this is recurring. The thing that I loved was that there was a real personality on stage, and I felt who was really trying to connect to the audience. Now I know not everybody felt that that. Um, you know, uh, one of the guys I was with felt that she was a bit too hectoring, too much of the activism and protest, but uh, I just loved it. Uh, clearly a show you don't necessarily take your grandmother to, because, um, yep, yeah, she gets pretty risque at times. Um, but I thought she pulled off just a magnificent performance. Um, and I would certainly, again, I'm listening to her music, uh, if you get the chance to go and see the show, then uh, I would I would absolutely do it. So the clip I've decided to play is uh, from one of her biggest songs, um, which is uh, "That's Just the Way You Make Me Feel," and uh, I've chosen this for a reason, which I'll come back to after we've heard the clip. <laughs> 
Baby, don't make me spell it out for ya All of the feelings that I got for ya Can't be explained, but I can try for ya Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for ya You keep on asking me the same questions And second-guessing all my intentions Should know by the way I use my compression That you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender And emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel 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 uh-huh. Okay so uh, I said I'd chosen that for a specific reason. One, it's a great song. Uh, but two, I mentioned before that Prince had obviously been a mentor uh, to Janelle Monáe. And uh, I think it's fair to say that you can hear uh, his influence in that song, particularly in the chorus, uh, which is no bad thing. I think it's great. Um, but the reason for sort of pulling that out is what then followed was the biggest surprise of the three days and actually i think probably after mccartney the just the most fun so um one of the guys and the main guy actually got me into austin a guy called richard horsefield he's great at doing research and looking at who's on and all of that and literally i think on monday of the week i got he pinged me to say hey i realized that on the sunday night um on the Tito stage, which is the only stage of the seven that's covered. So it has a roof on and then sort of pillars at the side. So it's open sides, but it has a roof on. Um, And it's pretty small and intimate. Um, And actually over the three days, I don't think we'd seen anything on that stage, which was very different to what happened last year. So he said, the revolution playing as in Prince and the revolution, you know, I'd really like to see them. And I'm like, hey, great. Uh, But there's a side of me that goes, well, and then I thought, well, if it was the E Street Band, God forbid, if Bruce wasn't around, yeah, I probably still want to go and see them. Um, so anyway, we trotted over to the Tito stage and it was busy. Um, and I really didn't know what to expect. You know, was this going to be some sort of slightly upmarket tribute band? Um, and they came out and they were just fantastic. Um, and yet yeah, it turned into a Prince greatest hit set. They basically had an additional singer who helped, but didn't try to be Prince. They shared the vocal duties between them. They shared the guitar duties. Um, and they just put on a really energizing show. But the magic that happened was this. <laughs> two things, two big drivers. One, social media, two bathrooms. Um, so the Tito stage is next to one of the big bathroom blocks. And what you could see happening is that people were taking a break to go to the bathroom, walking past and going, oh, my God, you know, that's let's go crazy. Uh, so you and you could see people furiously texting and WhatsApping friends. So they started their air set with the sort of the, the roofed part of the stage full and a few stragglers around the outside like us genuinely by the end it must have been 20 to 30 deep um and it really was just magic they were clearly as a band blown away by the reaction they got um 
you know, and they did do all of the hits. They did do Purple Rain. They made it clear that that had to become a sing-along, otherwise it didn't feel right. Um, and the whole thing was just absolutely magnificent. Um, now, obviously, uh, I don't actually have any recording, and I can't get anything from the festival uh, of them doing that, and it feels wrong to have a clip from Prince. Um and this is a podcast that's on Setlist in Bruce. So the clip I'm going to play is actually Bruce and the E Street Band covering Purple Rain in Brooklyn um, the night that uh, Prince had died. Uh, now, I realize for some people, Springsteen singing Prince might be a bit of an aberration. So what I've actually done is chosen a clip, um, which is uh, where Nils Lofgren, it's basically the guitar solo. And I've always thought that Prince, I mean, he was a fantastic songwriter, brilliant performer, producer, but actually was massively underrated as a guitar player. And anyone who's ever seen the clip of um, him doing While My, My, My Guitar Gently Weeps at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, would endorse that. And if you haven't seen that clip, go on YouTube and have a look. It's just one of the most magic performances. And uh, if you are watching it, try and work out what happens to Prince's guitar at the end. Um, so yeah, this um, this is Bruce and the Street Band, but mainly Nils uh, and the guitar solo, and what follows out of Purple Rain. And as I say, Prince is a massively underrated guitarist, and this yet again proves that Nils Lofgren is also massively underrated. So uh, enjoy. <laughs> the uh, end of my highlights uh, and it would be remiss of me not to um, at least touch on uh, a few of the lowlights um, and as I probably referenced a couple of times already there is a consistent theme here which I think is about artists not recognizing this is a festival environment it's outside it's large numbers it's a very wide-ranging audience it's not a club gig it's not an intimate theater. Um, and in the case of the Arctic Monkeys, there's an audience out there who paid a lot of good money and they deserve to at least be recognized and engaged with. So my three sort of disappointments, um, not a massive one, but Sharon Van Etten, who is someone I really like, um, took the brave decision um, 
she was on some of the smaller stages to come out and play a 45 minute set that was almost entirely new music that no one had ever heard before um from an artistic point of view i get it but um it felt worthy and uh, i really do think that um you know you need to do something different if you're going to go and do that do a few late night shows in gigs around austin and then do a festival set uh saint vincent um someone i saw in seattle probably nine months ago uh in uh, the Paramount, so it was a theatre show. That was quite challenging because she actually turned up with a backing track. She didn't have a band. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it once I got my head around the fact that this was theatre rather than live music. Um, in Austin, she did have a band, although uh, all but one of them was wearing sort of face masks so you couldn't see them. Um, and whilst it was early evening, I'm sure they thanked her for that in the temperatures they were playing in. Uh, again, it just felt like watching an impressive DVD. Um, and frankly, if you're going to do that, film the show and issue a DVD, stream it, whatever. We've all got 16-inch tellies and good sound systems. Um, and then finally, the real disappointment was the Arctic Monkeys. And to put this into context, um, I think Alex Turner's one of the best, if not the best, but one of the best songwriters of the last 10 years. Uh, he's a super smart guy. He's a fantastic communicator. Um, you know, he's a master of words. Um, there is a lot of people. The new album is more Less Shadow Puppets than it is Arctic Monkeys. I, for one, actually really like the album. But clearly it was always going to be challenging live. Um, and in that situation, I think that's when you make an extra effort to take the audience on the journey with you. Uh, he did the opposite. In an hour, he managed to incoherent. It is possible he'd overindulged in something. It certainly felt that way. Um, but two incoherent sort of song introductions. Musically and vocally, they were they were fine. But the show just didn't have any impetus. It didn't have any momentum. You know, you go back to that Justice, who I'd never seen before. But God, there was momentum. And I, I guess that's a theme in all the stuff I loved. Um, Whilst clearly I am no experienced festival goer, I've certainly never seen people leaving a set like that. And they left in the droves and in the thousands. So when they came on, it really was quite packed and uncomfortable. Uh, and we didn't actually get to the end. Myself and Richard, after about an hour and a bit, just said enough is enough. So um, that was a massive disappointment. Um, I hope it was an aberration um, because they are a band uh, that I love, um, but uh, not a disappointing way to finish. But um, overall, um, there were a lot, lot more highlights than there were lowlights. And over three days, you were always going to get those things that just don't work. Um, and I, for one, find it fascinating to just see how artists handle these whole situations. So that's me. Um, that's my ACL uh, 2018. We started with the opening minute or so of Paul McCartney's set, a uh, clip from that, and I'm going to finish with actually the closing minute, um, which is sort of appropriate because, of course, he finishes with the end, um, which I think is one of those songs. It works magnificently, but it just shows his brilliant ability to write something that sounds meaningful, feels meaningful, 
And actually, it might be really trite, but it works. So, you know, and in the end, the love you make is e the love. Sorry, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love that you make. And I feel that that's got loads of stuff in there, but I may be wrong. Um, but you do need talent to do that because other people try and get it horribly wrong. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoy it. If uh, anyone does want a feedback, then you can find me on Twitter as Terry Scrabble. Uh, my email is Terry SMI, so T E R R Y S M I at hotmail.com. And I'd love to hear from anyone who's taken the trouble to listen. And uh, I'll be back in a year's time to do ACL 2019. Thank you. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Ah, yeah, 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 It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.